Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, I have to confess that I was so focused this past week on the gospel passage and preparing to talk about it with you this morning that I never looked at the Old Testament lesson until it was just read just now. Unbelievable! It's incredible! Ugh. So Ben's preaching next Sunday. I don't know if because it, it's it, we're going to hear what happens to Uriah next Sunday. So good luck, Ben. Yeah. Well. Last Sunday, we were on the Sea of Galilee with five loaves and two fish and 5,000 people. And this morning, we're in the exact same spot on the exact same day. Jesus has now fed the 5,000. The meal is over. It's later in the evening. The disciples are exhausted, and Jesus decides to give them a break. And so he tells them to get into a boat and row to a quiet place on the other side of the sea, and then he goes off by himself up in the hills to be alone with God. And a few hours later, Jesus looks out on the sea, and the passage says the sea was rough because a strong wind was blowing. Another version of this story says that the disciples in the boat were straining at the oars against an adverse wind. I was once uh, in a Bible study uh, with a woman uh, reading this passage, and the woman said, Oh my God, that's the story of my life. Please note that we're not talking here about some wild storm. Uh, There's no tsunami. Uh, There's no thunder and lightning. There's no cruise ship tilting at a 45-degree angle. Instead, there's a strong, steady, continuous, unrelenting headwind. And the disciples are working incredibly hard to make any progress at all. And any second that they let up, even just for a bit, they start to drift backwards. So, if this scene is a picture that's familiar to you, then we are not talking here about some great calamity or disaster. We're not talking about the major traumas that wipe us out. We're talking about the daily grind. We're talking about the common, ongoing problems that just don't seem to get better, that stay with us day after day, and that slowly, over the course of time, sap our strength. So we're talking, for instance, about that job that simply isn't very engaging day after day. We're talking about that child uh, that's a little difficult to control sometimes, day after day. We're talking about that spouse with whom communication takes a little extra effort day after day. We're talking about that minor physical problem that affects you day after day. We're talking about that low-grade sense of guilt that just sticks with you day after day. 
And whatever the specific headwinds are for you or for me, the question is this. How come my faith doesn't make a real difference in the daily grind so that the problems go away? Because after all, the disciples are simply doing what Jesus told them to do. They aren't committing some awful sin. But there they are, and here we are, straining against adverse winds. Some time ago, I read the story of a man who deals with this exact same problem. He lives in Boston, and he's got a nickname. He's called the Tiger Man. And he's called that because he has, for some reason, I don't know what it is, 21 tattoos of tigers all over his body. The Tiger Man is a street person, and his entire life is one of making progress painfully with the wind against him. And the author of this story is a minister, and he writes that one day the Tiger Man came in to see him. And here is what the Tiger Man said. Last night, it finally got to me. The snow was piling up everywhere, and I couldn't get into any of the shelters, so I went down to the Charles Street Bridge. I stood there with the snow coming down and the wind cutting through me. I stood there, and I cried. It was like the devil was saying, go ahead, get it over with, jump. And I prayed, Dear Jesus, help me. I was praying and crying and holding that rail for my life. And after about ten minutes, it was like the devil just left me. I let go of the rail and walked off the bridge. And the minister wrote, I, The tiger man stopped, but I knew the story wasn't over. Suddenly, he sat up in his chair and looked me straight in the eye, and he said, That's the trouble with Jesus. He always keeps me from going over the rail, but he never does anything about the problems that keep me going back to the bridge. Well, maybe that's an extreme example, but at some deep level, the disciples are saying the same thing in this boat. And you and I, at some level say the same thing as the wind is against us day after day. We join hands with the disciples and the tiger man and we say, that's the trouble with you, God. I mean, I love you and yeah, you keep me from going over the bridge most of the time, but the headwinds are still there. So what does Jesus say in return? Well, he doesn't say to the disciples, row harder. And he doesn't say to the tiger man, get a job. And he doesn't say to you and me, and this is the second Sunday in a row that I've said this, he doesn't say to you and me, God helps those who help themselves. Instead, he says something that I wish we all would memorize. He walks on the water toward the boat, the disciples see him, they cry out in fear, and then Jesus says, It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. So on one level, of course, that's really frustrating, 
because it doesn't answer the questions that we're asking. The disciples ask for smooth sailing, and Jesus answers, it is I. The tiger man asks for a fair shake in life, and Jesus says, it is I. You and I ask for a little relief from the daily grind, and Jesus says, it is I. But the answer that Jesus gives is finally exactly the one that we most need to hear. The answer that he gives is finally the only answer that can stop us from going over and over again back to the bridge. And I say this because Jesus is not a meliorist. The one who says to you and me this morning, it is I, is not a meliorist. Now, I know that's a, not a word that comes tripping off the tongue easily, but to be a meliorist is to believe that I can beat those headwinds with a little extra work. If I just had a little more, if I had a little more energy, if I looked just a little better, if I had a few more clothes, if I lost just a little more weight, if I had a little more money, if I could just muster up a little more patience. And Christianity is not a meliorist religion. Christianity is based on the fact that the dead need life. And the power of God is always found in the place in life where you and I drew the curtains sometimes years ago. God is in the business of dealing with the places where you and I have died, where the headwinds have gone on so long that we've just given up. And new life the dead receive when Jesus comes to those places and says to us, it is I, don't be afraid. So, I want to tell you about a man named Helmuth James von Moltke, a man who was not a meliorist, a man who came to God with some pretty strong headwinds and who found a living Christ who said to him, it is I, and who found that finally that was the only answer that he needed. Helmuth was a young German aristocrat who was one of the last to be executed for resisting Hitler. He was an international lawyer. Uh, he was using his legal skills to help Jews escape from Germany. And when he was arrested and tried and sentenced, he wrote a letter to his wife named Freya. And in the letter he said this, I stood before Judge Friesler, not as a Protestant, not as a great landowner, not as an aristocrat, not as a Prussian, not as a German, but as a Christian and nothing else. Well, Helmuth wrote his wife Freya um, a letter every single day he was in prison. They have been published in a book titled Letters to Freya. Two nights before he died, the prison chaplain managed to sneak Freya into the prison so that Helmuth and Freya 
might receive communion together. On the morning of January 29, 1945, a fellow prisoner saw Helmuth in the anteroom to the execution chamber of the Plotzensee prison in Berlin, quietly kneeling on the ground and praying. And shortly afterwards, he was taken into the chamber and hung. I stood in that same chamber several years ago, a chamber that has been kept exactly as it was during the war. And the leader of our group read to us the final paragraph of Helmuth's final letter to Freya, written just hours before his death. Here is what it said. My dear, my life is ended. And I can say of myself, he died in the fullness of years. This in no way alters the fact that I would gladly go on living. I would gladly accompany you further on life's journey. So keep going with your efforts to save my life. If I should survive today, perhaps there may be another task you yourself are held in my heart. But I end by saying to you, by the strength of the treasure that is in me and that fills this humble earthen vessel, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you always. Amen. Helmuth heard Jesus say to him, It is I. Don't be afraid. And he was filled with God's peace. So let's pray. Let's pray that the tiger man comes to know that the Son of God has already walked out onto the Charles Street Bridge and has already borne the weight of Tigerman's anger and despair. And maybe just for the rest of today, and just for the week ahead, and right in the midst of any headwinds that you and I may be facing, let's pray that you and I together may hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, it is I, don't be afraid. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.